<clears throat> Take your Bible and turn with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. And I, I want to I want to teach. I don't know if it'll be so much of a sermon as much as just some some helpful lessons and biblical answers, maybe to common questions that people might have regarding heaven and what is heaven and questions around this theme of heaven. 2 Corinthians chapter 5 gives us tremendous hope, tremendous hope. So let's read it, and then I'll pray. We'll look at it together. 2 Corinthians 5, beginning in verse 1. Here's the word of the Lord. Paul says, For we know that if the earthly tent, which is our house, is torn down, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. For indeed, in this house we groan, longing to be clothed with our dwelling from heaven. Inasmuch as we, having put it on, will not be found naked. For indeed, while we are in this tent, we groan, being burdened, because we do not want to be unclothed, but to be clothed, so that what is mortal will be swallowed up by life. Now he who prepared us for this very purpose is God, who gave to us the Spirit as a pledge. Therefore, being always of good courage and knowing that while we are at home in the body, we are absent from the Lord, for we walk by faith, not by sight, we are of good courage, I say, and prefer rather to be absent from the body and to be at home with the Lord. May God bless the reading and the teaching of his word. What an amazing thought that our friend Ron is now in heaven, heaven, heaven. For the believer, heaven is your home. There comes a point, maybe at the end of the night, when you say to people, I I just, I need to, I need to go home now. But really, our home is not our temporary abode where we drive at the end of the night here. Our home as believers, if we're really going to be right about it, our home is heaven. Our home is with the Lord. Jonathan Edwards said it so well. I I remember reading this and it has just stuck with me. Jonathan Edwards said to go to heaven to fully enjoy God is infinitely better than the most pleasant accommodations here. Think about that for a minute. To go to heaven and to fully enjoy God, fully enjoy God, is infinitely, infinitely better than the most pleasant, comfortable accommodations here in this world. I don't know about you, but even the last few days as I reflect, I give way too little thought to my eternal home. A too little study is often devoted to our eternal home. Too few sermons are preached on the topic of heaven, our home. But yet not so with Jesus. He talked a lot about heaven. He gave so much hope in 
heaven. Matthew 5, verse 12, speaking of persecution in the Beatitudes, he said, Rejoice and be glad, for your reward in heaven is great. Jesus said in Matthew 18, verse 14, he said, Your Father is in heaven. Philippians 3, verse 20, the Apostle Paul reminded the believers, Our citizenship is in heaven. Colossians 1, verse 5, Paul begins this wonderful letter to the Colossians, and he says, Our hope is laid up in heaven, Colossians 1, 5. 1 Thessalonians 4, verse 16, tells us that the Lord one day will descend from heaven with a shout and with the voice of the archangel and gather up his, his own. In 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 4, Peter says to the believers, we have an inheritance that is reserved for us in heaven. Think about the hope. It's reserved. It's kept. It's unfailing. It can never be taken away. It's kept and guaranteed for you in heaven. 2 Corinthians 5 has come to my mind again and again and again when I think about heaven, and especially in the last couple of days. I want to look at this text with you, and I want to show you the comforting hope of heaven. It was comforting to Mary. It was comforting to their family. It has been comforting to my own heart, and I thought, I want to teach this. And I can't do all of the passage with you, but I want to pull out a handful of key lessons that I think will be a blessing. But I want to teach on the comforting hope of heaven for believers. Now, at the top of your outline, there's a box there. I want to read the headings because I want you to see where we're going. The comforting hope of heaven for believers includes the following. Number one, believers know that a new dwelling in heaven is coming, meaning a new body. Second, believers yearn to be in heaven, and that's appropriate and good and right. Third, believers will be fully consciously alive in heaven at the very moment of physical death. Fourth, believers have the Spirit of God as the engagement pledge of soon coming heaven. Fifth, believers now walk by faith as we journey to heaven. Sixth, believers know that at the moment of death, we enter heaven. And then number seven, believers ought to delight in and remember the promise, the hope, that heaven is to be at home with the Lord. Heaven is to be at home with the Lord. So let's just kind of walk through these comforting realities together. And I hope that maybe I may touch on some of the common questions that people may have about heaven. I hope that maybe I can sort of touch on some of those, if not answer them in part, and at least encourage some good conversation even afterward as well as we reflect even more on these things. But number one, follow with me in your outline. Believers know that a new dwelling in heaven is coming. Verse one is not the beginning of the section. In our Bibles, you see the word for, right? In the Greek language, that word means, let me explain what I just said. 
Well, we have to go back to the end of chapter 4. So look at 4.16. Look at the context here. 4.16. Therefore, we do not lose heart, but though our outer man is decaying, our inner man is being renewed day by day. Anybody thankful for that, right? Verse 17, momentary light affliction is producing for us an eternal weight of glory far beyond all comparison. While we look not at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen, for the things which are seen are temporal, but the things which are not seen are eternal. Let me explain, verse 1. For we know that if the earthly tent, our body, our dwelling right now, is our house, that is torn down, we know that we have a new dwelling, a new building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. There's coming a day. This is what Paul is saying. There's coming a day when we will take on a new dwelling, as it were. It's a picture, it's a figure of speech of our bodies as a dwelling, as a building, as a tabernacle, as it were. Our future dwelling will be such that it will not be earth-like or earthy. It will be from God. God will specially and perfectly make a new dwelling for believers in order to suit the new environment of eternity and heaven. You and I might read some things in the Bible about heaven, and we think, I'm not sure how that's going to work. And it's going to be, no doubt, an entirely new environment of heaven. And so God is going to give us a new body, a new tent, a new tabernacle, a new dwelling that will suit the environment of heaven. It will be eternal. And it comes from God, and it will be with us in the heavens. We need to remember that if you look at the end of verse 1, it is eternal in the heavens. A lot of books and movies and videos and ideas have been propagated through the centuries, and even in recent centuries, no doubt, recent years. But let's just remember that heaven is a real and an actual place. Heaven is not myth, it's not a fog, it's not some sort of uh, sphere of existence, it's a real place, it is a real actual place, and yet in the Bible, Jesus speaks as the bridegroom to his bride in John 14, and he says, I go to prepare a place for you. There's a real place coming for believers, coming for believers, and heaven is that place. But when a believer dies, when a believer dies, every Christian that leaves this world is, as it were, a ransomed, redeemed spirit, an invisible spirit in heaven that is worshiping God, alive, conscious, awake, and ready and eager to welcome other saints into glory. The body, the physical shell, stays behind. That's why death is often best defined as departure. Death is a departure. The body, the shell, remains behind, but the real person, the soul, spirit, is immediately in heaven. 
At the return of the Lord Jesus, there will be a resurrection where the soul, which has been made perfect in glory, will be reunited with the body and it will worship Christ forever and ever. So all believers are right now in heaven who have died. They have been separated from their body. I believe the Bible teaches that they are invisible spirits. doesn't mean that they don't exist. They certainly do exist, just not in material body form, but in a real, genuine spirit form. But then the question is this. Yeah, but, but if you are in heaven as a believer, and yet you're an invisible spirit, is there identity? And I think the Bible teaches yes. In some way, we are still able to recognize one another and have identity. Well, will there be recognition of one another in heaven? Well, certainly there will be. Jesus' story in Luke 16 of Lazarus and the rich man tells us that even after death, in the next state, heaven and hell, there is still the recognition of people. Is there uniqueness of people? Yes, there is. That's what The word of God seems to teach. But Paul is saying that in contrast to our earthly dwelling right now, the outer man is decaying, but our inner man is being renewed day by day. And we know that if this earthly dwelling is torn down, if when we die, we are awaiting another dwelling that will be with God forever, forever, forever. In Philippians 3, verses 20 and 21, the Apostle Paul says that Jesus will transform the body of his people to be conformed to his glorious body. But Jesus will do that at the coming of the Lord, at the coming of the Lord. First Corinthians 15, 42 tells us at the resurrection, God raises the body to be an imperishable body. So Ron's body in that bed that, that shell that is still here on this earth is just the outer shell of that man. The real Ron, the real you and me, is the invisible soul spirit. At the moment of death for the believer, that immediately goes to heaven. I love how in verse 1, Paul says at the end of the verse, we have a building from God. We are awaiting a new dwelling, a perfect dwelling, something that can't decay anymore. It won't be subject to affliction anymore. There's something from God. It's out of God. It's sourced from God. It is eternal, located in the heavens, and we long for that dwelling. We long for that. Second, in your outline, that would lead us to this. Second reality. Believers yearn to be in heaven. I think it's a kindness of the Lord when he reminds us from the word of God and through even grieving situations in life that we yearn for heaven. That we groan for heaven. Death, decay, sin, the outer man subject to weakness and death and separation. This is not the way that God originally designed it to be. 
We groan. Look at verse 2. For indeed, in this house, we groan. In this body, in this outer man, we are groaning, longing to be clothed with our dwelling from heaven, inasmuch as we, having put it on, we won't be found naked when we are appearing in the presence of God in that perfect dwelling. We groan. This is interesting. We earnestly desire, we groan. It's a, it's a word in the language for sighing. It's like, oh, I just can't wait to be there, to sigh, to groan, to long for that new place. Randy Alcorn in his writing on heaven said, like a, like a bride's dreams of sharing a home with her groom, Our love for heaven should be overflowing and contagious, like our love for God should be overflowing and contagious. Randy Alcorn says, our passion for God and our passion for heaven should be inseparable. The more that I learn about God, the more excited we ought to be for heaven. And the more that we learn about heaven, the more excited we ought to be about God, which then would lead to the inevitable result We're not there yet, and we long for that day. Romans 8 talks about how we groan. Romans 8 talks about how the Spirit of God groans. Romans 8 even says that creation is groaning, longing for the full redemption in the future. There is nothing wrong with earnestly desiring heaven. There is something right When we can say with the Apostle Paul, we groan longing for heaven. D.L. Moody was thinking about this, and he lamented this fact that we don't groan like we should. D.L. Moody said, everybody wants to enjoy heaven when they die, but they don't want to be heavenly minded while they live. And often if we grow in being heavenly minded, we will groan. We will yearn. We will long for that day when we will be with our Savior in glory. But it's not here yet. But we yearn for it. The more Christ-like we become, the more otherworldly we will become. And the more we will long for heaven. And the more we will be groaning because we were made, get this, we were made and remade for another world. We were born and reborn for another world. You think this world isn't my home. It doesn't feel like my home. Peter said, uh, first Peter said, you're like aliens and strangers here. You say, I kind of feel like that. Because we were made and remade for another, for another world. So believer, it is right and appropriate even to take situations like the one that we are facing in our church life to yearn for heaven, to yearn for that day, to groan for that day when we will be with our God forever. Third, I want you to know this in your outline. Believers will be fully, consciously alive in heaven. Now, I need to address something very briefly. I came across it even last couple of days in reading and thinking about this, that there's a misconception even among believers that heaven will be boring. Boring! That heaven could be boring It was just kind of floating up there in clouds, and we might have wings and harps and forever doing that. Well, that would be boring if that's all that there is. But 
Heaven is not boring. Heaven is not boring because God is not boring. Everything good, everything lovely, everything beautiful, everything enjoyable, everything satisfying, everything exhilarating is fully experienced and enjoyed and engaged in forever in heaven. There's nothing boring about that. Look in your Bible at verse 4. Look at what Paul says. For indeed, while we are in this tent, this body, we are groaning, being burdened. Why? Because we don't want to be unclothed, but we want to be clothed. We, we want to be in heaven. We want to be in that new dwelling with God so that what is mortal will be swallowed up by life. I want to focus on that last phrase. I think this is a game changer in your theology of heaven. Everything that you and I know as mortal, everything that you and I know as earthy will be swallowed up by life. At the very instant of a believer's death, departure, life has swallowed up all that is mortal and death-like. We are weak now. We are fatigued now. We are distracted now. We forget now. We are fearful. We sleep. We're finite. But not in glory. Not in glory. Glory is the truest life. It is the fullest life. That's why when we were around the bed yesterday morning with Mary and the family, we reflected on this truth. That he is more alive right now than he ever was in those 70 plus years of life. He is more alive. Why? Because everything that is mortal has been swallowed up by life. Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians 15, 54, death is swallowed up in victory. When we receive our eternal bodies, life completely conquers death. At the moment a believer passes this life and he graduates to glory, he remembers that his death has been swallowed up in life. But you got to get the way Paul said it in verse 4. Look at the end of verse 4, that last little phrase, what is mortal will be swallowed up by, it's emphatic, the life. Sometimes we say, boy, he's got the life. Man, they're just living the life. They're just living the life. They've got it all together. All is good. All is well. They've got, they've got all the things put together. No, in verse four, if we want the life, it's mortal being swallowed up by the life. The life. What is heaven? Heaven is the life. Death gives way to the life. So the believer's future experience in glory at the very moment of death, even when our soul spirit departs this realm and we enter the presence of God, it means that we have the fullest experience of the life in glory forever. The life experience of the future is being determined by how a person would trust in Christ as their only Savior and lean upon him as the only refuge for their souls. 
So in heaven, then, believers will eat and drink abundantly and swim in the ocean of love and be swallowed up in infinitely sweet, glorious beams of divine presence, receiving light, being full of life, encompassed around and reflecting the glorious life of God. We live now. And we have eternal life now, but we are not living the life yet. But one day, believer, you will have the life. You'll have the life when everything that is mortal is swallowed up. So when a believer passes, it's a graduation. It is a mortality being swallowed up by fullest enjoyment of life forever and ever and ever. Number, uh, number four, number four in your outline. Let me give you one more truth about heaven here. Believers, number four, have the spirit as an engagement pledge of heaven. And there's a lot here. So I just want to hit on a couple of the high points. Look at verse five. Notice what Paul says. Now, he who prepared us for this, what's that? Well, that's God who prepared us for the very life to come. For this very purpose, God prepared us for it, and he gave us the Spirit as a pledge. God backs up the promise of heaven with a down payment right now. Now, we could think about it like a down payment, like a down payment on a house. That might be one way to think about it, but there's a more appropriate way to think about it, and that's the Greek word for The pledge. What's the pledge? In the Greek language, and even in the modern Greek, the word means engagement ring. The Spirit of God, God has given to you as the engagement ring, the guarantee, the promise of the covenant. The Spirit of God is God Himself living in you as the promise, the engagement that that future reality is sure to come. Now, that is the guarantee that you, Christian, will make it to heaven. With that, I want to give you another reality of the Spirit's work living in you. Part of the Spirit of God's primary work, remember this from the Gospel of John, is to bring to remembrance the things that Christ said, right? The Spirit of God will bring to your remembrance what I said and what I taught, and he would guide the apostles as they would write the, the scriptures. Also, we know from the Gospel of John, the Spirit of God comforts and the Spirit of God magnifies and honors Christ. I believe that also includes the glory of heaven. What does that mean? The Spirit of God is not only your wedding ring that you will enter heaven, the Spirit of God also include, also will bring to your remembrance with great clarity the things of the temporal life here when you are in heaven. You'll be able to reflect and rejoice and praise and worship God for his many providences in your life, even the things that you've forgotten now in your life. The Spirit of God brings to remembrance, like he did to the apostles, even in glory. The Spirit of God and his infinite wisdom will bring to our remembrance things in our life that we can reflect and praise and worship 
and glorify God specifically for things that God has done, providential appointments that God has worked in our lives. It's an amazing hope that Paul gives right here that God has prepared us, verse 5, for the very purpose of entering heaven, and God has given us the Spirit of God as the wedding ring. Not just a ring on a finger, but he's the signet on our heart. God guarantees us because he lives in us. Amazing that in heaven, Ron, believers who die, will have a clearer recollection of things that happened in this earth with the ability to praise and worship and honor God than we even do in this life with our finite and often forgetful memories. Let me give you number five in your outline, a fifth way that we could think through this passage. Number five, believers walk by faith as we journey to heaven. Verse six, Paul says, Therefore, in light of all of the hope of heaven, being always of good courage and knowing that while we are at home in the body, we are absent from the Lord because we walk by faith and not by sight. It must amaze the angels, don't you think? It must amaze the angels that we love God even though we've not seen him. It must amaze and baffle the angels that we actually live for God even though we've never seen him. We live by faith. We are living by faith, not by sight. To walk by faith means that each day of our lives, we don't live by what we see. We live by what we know to be true, and we trust in our God as he's revealed himself in the word. I mean, think about this for a moment. In heaven, we believe that God the Father is there. We pray that, our Father who is in heaven. We believe, Hebrews 9.24, that Jesus is at the right hand of the Father interceding for us. We know that there are other believers, a whole company of the redeemed that are right now in heaven, Hebrews 12 tells us. We believe by faith, Luke 10 verse 20, that our names are recorded there in heaven. We believe that our inheritance is laid up for us in heaven. And yes, our citizenship is in heaven. We, we believe all these things. We live by faith. Our eternal reward is in heaven. Everything that we live for, everything that we love, everything that we rightly value, everything that is of eternal worth is in heaven. So we don't walk by what we see. We live by faith. We live by faith. The grand question for all of us is, are you walking by faith? Are you walking by faith? This is a Christian. We, we don't walk by the things that we can see. We walk by faith in Christ. The grand question for all of us is, is our name written in heaven? Are you trusting Christ and him alone by faith? If not, notice how Paul continues the chapter. 2 Corinthians 5.11 We know the fear of the Lord, so we persuade men. 
And then Paul says in verse 14, the love of Christ controls us, having concluded this, that one died for all, therefore all died, and he died for all, so that they who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who died and rose again on their behalf. Verse 20, we beg you to be reconciled to God. Verse 21, because God made him, that is Jesus, who knew no sin, to be sin on our behalf, so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. This is the beauty of the gospel. We, as believers, walk by faith, not by sight. We don't don't walk and live and conduct ourselves by what we see in this world, By the things of this world, we walk by what we believe to be true as God has revealed it about himself and his true and all-sufficient word. Number six, let me give you two more. Number six, believers need to know that at the very moment of death, we enter heaven. Verse eight. We are of good courage, I say, and prefer rather to be absent from the body and to be at home with the Lord. Now, ponder this. Before the heart monitor screen would even indicate that the heart has stopped. Before the screen even recognizes it. At that very millisecond, Jesus has received him into glory. But before our minds can even process that a loved one has passed into glory, we know from Second Peter that that person has received a rich welcome and abundant entrance into heaven, Second Peter 1 talks about. To be absent from the body means that we are present with the Lord. What a clear verse for what happens to the believer at the very moment you die. When you are separated from your earthly body, you are immediately at home with the Lord. And what that does is that will prove the error of two common beliefs. First, soul sleep. That, that people are sort of held in kind of a holding place. There's kind of a soul sleep, uh, maybe until the resurrection, and then we're kind of awake from the sleep, and we're resurrected, and, and then eternity would happen at that point. But I think more commonly is the second error, and that's purgatory. The dead who die have to continue being purged of their sin through their suffering before they will then be good enough or fully justified, to use their terms, and then they will be able to enter heaven. But that's not what the Bible says. The Bible says, for the believer who's walking by faith, not by sight, to be absent from the body is to be at home with the Lord. And let me just prove it by another account. Remember the poor man Lazarus in the story of Jesus in Luke 16? At the very instant he died, remember angels came and they immediately carried him to Abraham's bosom. A lot of confusion about Abraham's bosom. Here's what it means. It meant one thing in Jewish thinking. Heaven. That's all it meant. 
That's all it meant. So when that poor man, Lazarus, died, at the very moment he died, the father sent the angels and they carried him to Abraham's bosom, meaning the very presence of Abraham, the presence of God in heaven to be with him forever. That's the hope. That's the hope that we have. The hope that we have. Charles Wesley said, made perfect first in love, and we are being sanctified by grace. We shall from earth remove and see his glorious face. His love shall then be fully showed, and man will all be lost in God. What a hope that at the moment of death, in that very instant, in that very millisecond, we will be with Christ. Charles Wesley, you know he wrote many hymns, and can it be, hark the herald angels sang many, many hymns. And the final words that Charles Wesley said before he died, his last words were this, I shall be satisfied with your likeness, fully satisfied. He believed it. He believed it. When he died, he would see the likeness of God forever. And then one more, number seven, if you look in your outline, just one more truth here. I want to give you number seven. Believers delight in the hope that heaven is to be at home with the Lord. Now, it's a fair question. What is it that makes heaven heaven? What makes heaven to be heaven? Well, Paul said it like this in Philippians 1.23. I have a desire to depart and be with Christ. Jesus said to the thief on the cross, Luke 23, 43, today you will be with me in paradise. Job 19, 26 and 27, Job said, after my skin is destroyed in my flesh, I shall see God whom I myself will behold. David said in Psalm 16, in God's presence, there is fullness of joy. Now, heaven, what makes heaven to be heaven? We, we could talk about, well, I, I want to see the streets of gold, and I want to be with the loved ones, and I want to converse with the great men and women of old who have been believers in centuries past. I want to see the gates of pearl. I want to see all the angelic hosts. I want to be without sin. And all those are good. And all those are biblical. All those are appropriate. But none of those make heaven to be heaven. All of those things could be present, but if Jesus is not there, heaven would not be heaven. What makes heaven to be heaven is the unhindered, unrestricted, undistracted presence of being with the Lord. And that's what verse 8 concludes with. We prefer to be absent from the body and to be, here's a great definition of heaven, to be at home with the Lord. To be at home with the Lord. What makes heaven to be heaven? I'm at home with the Lord. Charles Hodge, the great reformed theologian, said the Christian's heaven is to be with Christ. 
The Puritan Ezekiel Hopkins said, Heaven is where the unveiled glories of deity shall beat fully upon us, and we will forever sun ourselves. I think he means like sunbathe ourselves in the smiles of God. Can you imagine being at home with God in the presence of God forever? I have a desire to depart and be with Christ. Jesus said, today you'll be with me in paradise. Paul said, we will be at home with the Lord. Great truths about heaven. Comforting truths about heaven. And things that we need to remember. And realities that we need to remind ourselves of. That that we are living now, not just for the things here, although we do want to live with our all and all of our might, but for the glory of God as we await the world to come. John Knox, the Scottish reformer, uttered these final words just before he graduated to glory. John Knox said, Live in Christ. And you will die in Christ. And when you die in Christ, the flesh need not fear death. Live in Christ, and you'll die in Christ. And the flesh will not need to fear death. Great hope. Great hope. Help us to refocus on hope, on heaven, on being with our Savior. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the hope that is laid up for us in heaven. Thank you for the confidence that one day we will be at home with the Lord. Thank you for the clarity of your word. Thank you for the mind-boggling realities of your word so that we would think on these things and yearn for heaven. Help us, help us to yearn for heaven and to live in light of heaven while you give us days here. In Jesus' name, amen.